was in college and uh, at the little uh, Methodist private Christian school, uh, and uh, they were talking to all the religion majors and all the ministry majors, and they were saying that everyone here needs to have a ministry. They need to be going out. They need to uh, find something that they can do so they can uh, personally evangelize, share Jesus with someone else. And that is what God wanted to do, that everyone in this room they were talking about was supposed to have a ministry. And that's what was sold. And, and, and that always struck me a little bit different because, of course, I wanted to share the gospel of Christ to anyone, anyone who I came in contact with. But at the same time, I was going through school. I had a part-time job. It seemed like uh, I, was, I was doing some things to serve my neighbor already. I wasn't exactly sure how this was supposed to fit in. We're going to be talking about that today. Uh, thank you for listening to this edition of Table Scraps. The Doctrine of Vocation is our topic. And our guest for today is Dr. Stephen Hine. He's a director of Concordia Institute for Christian Studies and associate pastor of Shepherd of the Springs in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And he's also the speaker of the 11th Annual Vocation Symposium sponsored by Lutheran Student Fellowship of Oklahoma University. And this is going to be on April 10th at the campus of OU. Uh, registration is free for all students and $10 for adults. For more information about that, uh, visit tlcnorman.org. Dr. Hine, thank you for joining us on Table Talk Radio. Thank you very much, Evan, for a chance to be with you here today and on a very important topic. Okay, so th- there's no shortage of these books out there, books talking about purpose, that, that God has a particular purpose for us. Uh, would you answer that question for us? What is our purpose on earth? Well, I think our purpose on earth is uh, eventually to get ourselves uh, into glory, uh, that God's primary purpose is to save us from our sin uh, and to prepare us for a life of eternity uh, in Christ Jesus uh, for that uh, better day that he has coming for us. Uh, In the context of this life, as he salvations the sinner, if I could use kind of a German phraseology there, uh, he prepares us for that third virtue of the three spiritual virtues, faith, hope, and love. Uh, And uh, love, as St. Paul indicates, as the greatest of the three, uh, is such primarily because faith and hope are going to pass away. But love, that is something that... uh, that we're going to be doing uh, forever. And so in this life, uh, God intentions our Christian walk of faith to put us in a school, so to speak, to teach us how to love. And a major element uh, in teaching us how to love is that he gives us neighbors, and he gives us some significant things to do as instruments of distributing his blessings Uh, to both the just and the unjust in the world. So vocation uh, becomes the central context upon which he both teaches us how to love, something we will be doing forever, and enabling us to be of some earthly good while uh, we are on our journey uh, into the fullness of his kingdom. Respond to what I said in the opening, this uh, idea that everyone is a minister and everyone has a ministry— um, is there any truth to that, and, and, and what, what might we want to correct about that? Well, one of the problems is the nebulousness of, out of the word ministry. There are two words that we can translate the Greek word diakonia with. 
the word service and the word ministry. Actually, both words are, uh, are synonyms of one another, but when we have translated the scriptures and usually talked about the special service through which Christ carries out his vocation of saving sinners, we have usually used the word ministry to relate to that. So ministry is not a word that specifically refers to anything that Christians do because they love Jesus, uh, but specifically relates <coughs> to those who have been called to the responsibility of exercising offices through which Christ himself continues to carry out his vocation of saving sinners, bestowing his saving gifts, uh, and creating children for the kingdom of God. Those offices are not every office or every vocation that a Christian might be involved with, but specifically relate into those offices that Paul enumerates there in Ephesians 4. Uh, and notice the words uh, of Paul very seriously here, and take to heart when he says, and God gave some to be prophets, not everybody, some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, and then some to be pastors, teachers, uh, pastor, teacher, bishop, elder, all of those being synonymous terms for an office that the Lord has raised up in the life of the church that does have responsibility for proclaiming and teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments. Now, to be sure, Christians certainly may have opportunities uh, to witness to their faith in the context of the vocations that God gives to them, but they are just that. They are opportunities. Uh, they are opportunities, meaning that we have freedom here, particularly, though, freedom only when we have carried out the other responsibilities of the real vocational callings that God has given to us. In the instance that you happen to mention, uh, one of the major vocations that you sense that you have been called to is being a student and being a good steward of God's gifts uh, for that heavy responsibility. And there is where you have responsibilities, not opportunities. Expand on that. Uh, you're going to be speaking uh, at an OU in April. Uh, how is it that uh, that a, a student has a vocation? In other words, what is the student's vocation? I think a student's vocation is to prepare themselves to obtain, as it were, the gifts, talents, to, to invest those so that they might be multiplied within one's life. Think of the parable of the talents, okay? Uh, talents are to be invested, and they are invested in such a way that you actually increase them. Uh, now, there are lots of walks of life upon which we might do that, but being a student particularly, it seems to me, is a uh, truly a vocation. It is something that, you, something that you engage out of faith in Christ. It is something that you engage, the ultimate purpose of which is to expand your usefulness and service uh, to your neighbor. It is not for the purpose of aggrandizing your own life, making lots more money for yourself so that you can indulge in greater amounts of entertainment uh, and consumption, which is often, of course, what many students think it is, uh, or uh, building up uh, great debts that you can pay off later. 
<laughs> but, uh, but really it is a, uh, for Christians, it is a vocation, it is a calling, and its ultimate purpose is to make an investment in developing your own gifts and talents for the ultimate service uh, of your neighbor uh, in the world. One uh, phrase that's often attached to this talk and this discussion about vocation is that of uh, mass of God. Uh, where did that, that phrase come about, and what is being referred to when we talk about masks of God? Oh, that's a term that was, uh, that, that was very popular with Luther. He used the, uh, the Latin phraseology, the larva dei, uh, the mask of God. Uh, we think of God's penchant uh, when God wants to do something in this world, of using uh, common, ordinary, mundane, worldly things to accomplish his purposes. And he does this not only in his order of salvation. Think of how he uses the common, ordinary, mundane means of things like water and bread and wine. Uh, These particularly serve as instruments that, on the one hand, hide his glory and splendor so that we can behold his presence, and yet through which he carries out his saving work. Well, as is true in redemption, so also is true in the preservation of his creation. That is to say that he is willing to use common, ordinary, mundane people like you and I uh, to uh, distribute uh, his blessings that meet all of our needs. Uh, for our temporal life and existence uh, here in this world. Food, shelter, clothing, friends, uh, housing, all of these sorts of things. And these are blessings that ultimately come from God, but he disguises himself in each one of us, using us as his instruments to distribute those blessings when, where, and as he chooses, where we live, work, and play. You mentioned uh, Luther. Luther, within the context of vocation, established that monastic vows are, are contrary to faith. What did he mean by that? Well, what he meant by that is, is monastic vows, generally speaking, involved taking an individual out of the context of neighbor, out of the context of labors that are of some earthly good for the neighbor's benefit, and cloistered an individual uh, into a context of uh, a secluded environment with a regimen simply of prayer, praise, meditation, and things of this sort, which were of no particular benefit to the neighbor whatsoever, and for that matter, in relationship to one's own benefit, contributed nothing or very little to the faith life that God is calling us to live that he feeds by word and sacrament not by monastic exercises. So it had the dual purpose uh, that Luther saw of blocking not only God's blessings uh, of the gospel to one's self, which are by faith alone, not religious exercise, and uh, taking one away from truly those works which God commands us to do that are of some earthly good to our neighbor, and those are to be performed in the context of home and family, Uh, workplace, neighborhood, and state, uh, not some cloistered, secluded environment. Well, similar to that, then, uh, you you mean, many Christians will say that one is not 
saved by works, but one is saved by faith alone. But that faith is never without works. That that the, if if one is a Christian, he will be doing good works. Um, but it sounds like the the kind of good works that they're looking for is is the the miraculous, the, the big and wonderful things, the, the building an orphanage in Africa, uh, or whatever. And 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 sure, building an, an orphanage in Africa is such a a great thing. But what are these good works that we're really looking for? The kind of works that that relate to Christian vocation have always been an affront uh, to the world, and often they have been an affront uh, even to would-be Christians. Uh, If we want to think of the prime example that Jesus set before us to understand the kind of works that he is calling us to, we think of our Lord's uh, 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 there in the upper room with his disciples, Uh, where as an object lesson for understanding something about our vocational works, he takes that towel, wraps it around his waist, and starts going down the line there in the upper room, washing the feet of his disciples. And we know, of course, how this absolutely embarrassed Peter, uh, where Peter stood up and, and just frankly commanded Jesus to stop. And we notice that Peter said to the Lord, Uh, Please stop. He didn't say, please sit down, I'll do it. Hmm. In other words, he was embarrassed to have one that he would consider Lord uh, doing such menial things. I like to think that if we wanted to take that example and update it, the quintessential work in the kingdom of God about vocation that Jesus wants to use as kind of an object for understanding the everyday normal needs that our works would address, I like to think that perhaps the modern counterpart is something like doing the laundry. Uh, The idea that when the dirty socks go in with detergent and fabric softener, here we see the quintessential works of Christian vocation being carried out. Not very flashy, to be sure, and even though it is certainly true that sometimes we may be called to carry out works that require a tremendous amount of courage, maybe a great amount of sacrifice, and for that matter, works that may have a tremendous impact in the lives of many people. Most of our works, day in and day out, are going to involve things like the ordinary dirty business of doing laundry, but nevertheless are those kinds of works that God blesses the everyday needs of people uh, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, uh, and in our workplaces. So uh, it's true that through the history of the Church, we have often tried to dream up our own works, works that we think are more spiritual or bigger or more exciting or more flashy, uh, and yet... uh, Uh, The Lord calls us in his word back to consider these more ordinary works of everyday life as really the kinds of things that Christian vocation is made up of. But you have someone who's listening and say, look, you know, uh, a a non-Christian does the laundry just as a Christian does. Uh, A a non-Christian will will pick up the socks from the kids uh, and all all the other things, change diapers, all these mundane tasks. How is it then that the Christian's work is called good works and the non-Christian's is not? Very good. The first way that I want to introduce that question is, first of all, by helping everybody to understand 
that when we talk about good and God-pleasing works, we are talking about an article of faith, an article of faith of the gospel. God uses all people, just and unjust, to benefit the neighbor, and to benefit the neighbor in identically the same ways. It is perfectly correct that you could have two um, shop owners who open their shop at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they go out and they sweep the sidewalk out in front of them. One of them is a believer, the other one is an unbeliever. Both equally, God works through to provide a nice, clean walkway uh, for those passers-bys on that day. And the Christian work uh, is probably indistinguishable from that of the non-Christian. And yet we understand a good work is not simply a work that God performs through us for our neighbor's benefit, but works that we do through the neighbor for Christ's benefit. That is to say that it is when our works are done in faith in Christ and in love of neighbor, Christ reckons those works as done unto him. We cannot do our works directly for Christ. They must be done through the neighbor for two unflattering reasons. First of all, straight off, he doesn't need anything that we have. And secondly, equally unflattering, anything that we do have that's worth anything, he gave us. So the point is, is that in this life, Jesus simply makes this arrangement and tells us to believe that when we are carrying out our works and our vocation, which outwardly are indistinguishable from what the non-Christian may be doing, we need nevertheless to believe that when those are done in faith in him and in love of neighbor, Christ is going to reckon those as good works in the sight of God, and there when he separates the sheep and the goats, those works are going to be extolled and revealed for everyone to see, as works, though done unto the least of his brothers, were nevertheless done unto him. So in this life, yeah, it's true. Our works, uh, Christians are in this sense by their works, a bit of a sociological uncertainty. They will only know we are Christians by our love in the fullness of salvation when Jesus performs, the, when, when he, when he uh, proclaims them to the world, but not before. Where do uh, the crosses of life fit into the doctrine of vocation? Well, the crosses of life are going to fit in wherever God wishes to visit them upon us. And the fact is, is that uh, we are carrying out those labors for our neighbor's benefit uh, in a fallen world. That is, we're going to be defective people carrying out those works, and it is going to be defective people uh, that we are serving. And in the midst, therefore, of that life that is lived day in and day out, carrying out the duties and tasks, the first thing that we're going to notice about many of those duties and tasks, which, of course, students know when they're sitting 3 o'clock at night trying to cram for an exam, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of toil and weariness involved in the work. Things don't come as easy as we would like them to do. Uh, to come. And for that matter, uh, oftentimes we may see uh, less bounty or less results from our works 
as we might wish they were there, and sometimes, tragically, we don't see any at all. Uh, these things, of course, are, uh, are very perplexing, and there may be those uh, around us, for that matter, who don't appreciate what we are doing, uh, who bring great burdens down upon us as we seek to be faithful in the things that God has called us to do. Uh, and all of these things, together with possibly health problems, not enough resources to pay for the things that need to be done or need to be procured, all of these things can bring us trials, tribulations, uh, those things which uh, we can well call the crosses of everyday life. And lastly, Dr. Hine, uh, what do we do when there's an, a, an apparent contradiction of vocations, or at least a conflict, uh, that y- here you are uh, in your vocation as Christian and a, vo- and a vocation as citizen, and they seem to have a conflict, or uh, your vocation as husband and your vocation as employee seem to yeah. be at odds. What's a Christian supposed to do in situations like that? I, I think the Christian is supposed to pray for the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, when we think about the conflicts and, and, and those that you mentioned, uh, maybe we can reflect on those as perhaps being of two sorts. One, we can have a conflict in relationship to time. In other words, we may have we may recognize that we have different offices within our vocation, and each of those different offices, for instance, like uh, student employee, citizen, uh, to mention just three that many college students who are Christians may well have, as well as son or daughter in their family, each of those offices uh, presents to it tasks, duties, responsibilities, and time commitments that can be in conflict. Uh, And the best that we can do is... um, try to be, as best as we can, stewards of the time that God has given us, recognizing that uh, the conflicts also can come in such a way that we recognize that we have to make choices uh, between either-ors rather than both ends, in which case we recognize that there are some tasks and duties which in a timely way simply may go wanting. And so we recognize in our life by gosh, you know, we can see a lot of sins of omission there. Uh, But it is to recognize in the midst of all of that something about our sinful frailty, therefore, that even though we may have to choose the lesser of two evils or we may choose to carry out one duty and responsibility when we clearly are recognizing we are omitting or blowing off another one, that uh, it is because of this sinful, wretched condition, uh, not just simply that we have, but the world in which we live, uh, this is precisely why we need a Savior. And so we live by grace, we don't live by the law, and we recognize, therefore, that as we do uh, and, and seek to carry out the best stewardship that God has given to us, uh, we're not saved by any of these works, but that we therefore uh, are able to sleep well at night, recognizing, of course, that God accepts us just as we are for the sake of Christ, and um, and He has died for all this fallenness that we see in our life, 
and that we see in the world around us. So I, I, it's, it's a very good question, uh, and there is nothing that's going to take away the struggle about these sorts of things. But we pray for the wisdom of Solomon that we might be able to, when we have to make value judgments, that we might be able to make wise value judgments, carrying out the greater responsibilities and omitting the lesser ones when we can't do both. Dr. Stephen Hine is the director of Concordia Institute for Christian Studies and associate pastor at Shepherd of the Springs Lutheran Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He's also the honored speaker at the 11th Annual Vocation Symposium sponsored by Lutheran Student Fellowship at Oklahoma University on April 10th in the campus of OU. His, the title of his uh, talk is Vocation, Ordinary Lies for Ordinary Saints. Uh, Dr. Hine, thanks for joining us, and I'm looking forward to the, to the talk on April 10th. Thanks so very, very much, Evan, and God's blessings to you, and look forward to seeing you up the way here for that uh, wonderful time together uh, on campus. You as well. It's really quite amazing that uh, the Christian and the non-Christian can be doing the exact same things, exact, exact same daily tasks, and yet one is, one's works is pleasing before the Lord and the other isn't. And, and what's the difference? It's, it's, the, it's the exact same works. What is the difference? The difference is faith. For the Christian has faith in our Lord Jesus Christ who lived his life free from all sin. And so when, when God looks at the Christian and, and he looks at him through the, the baptismal robe, through the blood of Christ, he sees not the, uh, the, the works of this Christian but sees the works of his beloved son uh, which were done apart from all sin. And this is the message we have proclaimed, that, that, that we then live out our lives and our vocation, serving our neighbor, loving our neighbor as, uh, as saints of God, as forgiven saints of God uh, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to Table Scraps, a production of Table Talk Radio. And if you're in the area, it'd be great to have you out for the uh, Vocation Symposium at OU. Again, registration is free for students and only $10 for adults. That's April 10th on the campus of OU. Just visit tlcnorman.org for more information. See you next time on Table Scraps.